Okay, before we get into the, the heart of the message, I need to clarify some foundational understandings for you so that you get and understand where we're going with this message. The message will kind of build upon these foundational understandings. And the first one is, when you read the Bible or when you think of the Bible, how do you process it? Do you look at the Bible and look at the table of contents and say, oh, there's 66 books. There's 66 books here for me to read. And each one tells me something different about the other one. And it's 66 books gathered into one big book. Is that how you think about it? I'll be honest with you, that's how I thought about it for a long time. And then I realized that there's something different about this. Why is it I'm reading this thing in Revelation that actually talks about stuff that took place in Genesis? The well, first and last books of the Bible. I said that backwards. That last and first books of the Bible. Yeah, just making sure. But really, the Bible is one story with 66 different books that make up that one story. And so when you look through the Bible and as you read the Bible more, you'll begin to see there's, there's patterns that take place. There's stories that unfold that are in the Old Testament that you see unfolding in the New Testament. The next one is when you hear the word mission... If I was to come up to you and say, what comes to your mind when you hear the word mission? What would you say? Homeless Africa. Good. Good. Anything else? Okay, what if we were in a church and said the word mission? Would that change your thoughts at all? So what comes, come on, there's participation. What comes to your mind when you, Mexico, okay, Africa, and we've heard Africa, Mexico, homeless. Outreach. A goal, thank you. A goal. We'll see, what we're going to look at is that there's one mission, and it's not ours. You see, the mission of the church started with God. It was God's mission. And as we're going to look in the next 25 minutes, I'm going to take you through the whole Bible. Yes, I'm going to skip some parts. But I want to show you how this all ties together as a story that all revolves around God's mission for us. God's missions for each one of our lives and how it unfolds in the Bible. There's a term in Latin that is missio dei. It means the mission of God. And it's, it's God's mission You see, the church today has kind of taken this and twisted it 
And we've said that we have a mission, and this is what we're supposed to do. But it's not our mission. It's God's mission. It's what God wants us to do. It's what God has called us to do. And in God's mission, he started out by creating humanity. He starts out and he creates Adam and Eve in the garden. He creates man and woman. And he tells them in Genesis 1.28 that he gives us this mandate to, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to increase and be fruitful in number, to fill the earth and subdue it, and to rule over the things of the earth. From the very beginning, he gives us a job. He tells us what our purpose in this world is, is to care for each other and to care for the creation that he created for us. He gives us a mission. Adam and Eve were commissioned by God to work and take care of the garden. That was their job. And they had unity with God. They had God with them in the garden. There was no separation between them. But then something else happens. Then we see that the fall take place. And man decides to go a different route than what God's mission is. And we find that in Genesis 3, that Adam and Eve turn away from God. They decide to do things their own way. And so God banishes them from the garden. And now there's this separation. There's this divide between God and man and his creation. But God says, I, I have a goal. I, I have a mission. I have a purpose behind what I want to do. There's a reason why I created these people. And it wasn't just to create them, to have unity, and then for them mess it all up. God says, no, I love them too much. So he calls Abraham. And in the scripture that Toby just read for us a few minutes ago in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and he tells him to, to leave the land where he is. And he's to take his family and he, he's to go to a new place. He's to leave everything that he's familiar with and go. But God gives him a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Your name will be great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. There was a separation. But God says, no, I, I mean for more. I want more out of your lives. And so he calls Abraham to leave, to go to a new place. Well, how will Abraham be a blessing? 
to save you from looking through the Old Testament to find this out, I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version. There's Abraham. God tells Abraham that through your children, I will bless the nations. If you remember, Toby said that Moses, Moses, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave and go. 75 years old. That means some of you better be careful. But see, Abram and his wife Sarai, they wanted to do things on their own timing. And baby wasn't coming fast enough. So Sarah decides to give his servant girl to Abraham. And Abraham sleeps with Hagar. And she has a son, and his name is Ishmael. And then later, Sarah has a son. And his name is Isaac. Well, if you want to know why, there's a huge fight between the Jews and the Arabs right here. You see, Isaac, from Isaac comes the Jewish nation. From Ishmael comes the Arab nations. From Isaac come Esau and Jacob. If you'll remember in in Genesis, Esau gives up his birthright because he's hungry. He comes in after fighting or after hunting and he's starving and he asks Jacob to make me a pot of stew. And Jacob tricks him and says, for if you want this food, you have to give me your birthright. Because Jacob was the youngest. So the blessing from Isaac would have gone to Esau. Esau gives up his blessing to Jacob. We find in Genesis 32, 28, that Jacob, after wrestling with God, Jacob has his name changed by God to Israel. And out of Jacob come 12 sons. And those 12 sons are named after the 12 tribes of Israel, which make up the Israelite nation. So it's out of Abraham that we see these patterns, these lives begin to bless the nations. In Exodus 1, sorry, that question mark is supposed to be Exodus 5. In Exodus 1, we see that the Israelites are blessed and oppressed at the same time. They were in Egypt and they had been growing in number and God had been blessing them so much that the, the Egyptians come to Pharaoh and said, they're growing so vastly, they're going to overtake us within a short amount of time. And so Pharaoh puts the Israelites into slavery. They find themselves at a place where they're in slavery. But God calls Moses to go, to lead the Israelites 
and to leave Egypt and to go to a promised land, a place where he has promised them that they will begin to grow and be fruitful again, where life will begin to find its fulfillment. Israel's election as God's holy people, as his people of God, was not a rejection of other nations, but they were used to exemplify, or they were used explicitly for the sake of blessing all of the nations. That we are a blessing because of Abraham and his faith to to leave everything that he knew Well, Moses decides that he wants to overstep his boundaries and and do something that that God didn't tell him to do. And so Joshua has to step in and he leads the Israelites out of the promise or out of the desert and into the promised land. They find themselves in the promised land where they've traveled literally and journeyed for 40 years in the desert. But shortly after entering the promised land, Joshua dies. And quickly the Israelites turn from God. And they forget about God. And my remote just died, Nancy, so you're going to have to do it for me. The Israelites turn away from God and they forget who God is and what he has done for them in the desert. And again, they veer off course. They choose to go their way and not where God wants them to go. But again, God steps in and says, no, it's it's not my plan. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose for why I've created you. And that's to be with me. You're supposed to be with me. And if I'm up here, that's the wrong way. So God appoints judges to rule over the Israelites. The Israelites cry out to God, and once they find themselves in trouble, they ask for God to to have mercy on them. God sends Ehud. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, and he, he delivers Israel from the oppression of the Moabites. Then he sends Deborah, from the tribe of Ephraim, to deliver Israel again from the oppression of the Canaanites, then Gideon, who delivers them from the oppression of the Midianites, and Jephthah, a social outcast from the tribe of Manasseh, who was a judge during a time that Israel was threatened by a foreign king, and then Samson, from the tribe of Dan, who delivers Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. He sends these judges to guide them and to rule over them. But that wasn't enough for them. The Israelites, again, decided that they wanted to go a different course. They didn't like who God appointed for them to rule over them. So for the first time, they go to God and they request a king. They want a king to rule over them. Not a God they can't see. They want someone they can physically see and put up on a throne and say, that is our king. That's who's going to rule over us. So they request a king. 
and Saul is appointed the king, the first king of the Israelites. Well, Saul does a great job at the beginning, but it quickly becomes about the power for him. He easily can overthrow and conquer any army that he has, but quickly God leaves him. And God no longer supports him as king. So God says, we need someone else. We need someone who's going to lead us back to where we need to be. And so God, through Samuel, appoints David as king. In 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, you'll see that Samuel comes and he, he appoints David as the next king. And over the next few years, it's this battle between Saul and David kind of chasing each other around and each trying to kill the other. But when David has the chance to kill Saul, he doesn't do it because he's the king. And at one point, God honored him as king. So who am I to, to kill him? But he honored him. But again, the Israelites turn away from God. They decide to do their own thing. But God's not done. We begin to read these prophecies. We begin to see these prophets come in. And they share... They share God with these people. They teach them about the one true God, and they try to bring them back into God's life. Come back to God. Turn away from the idols that you are worshiping. Do you remember what he did for us in the, in the desert? That he brought us to this place, this promised land? That he's guaranteed that no army, no other foreign nation will conquer us? That we will be a blessing to the nations. And so we see Elijah and Elisha, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah, Nahum, Jeremiah. And we see these prophets begin to speak into the lives of the Israelites. In 586 B.C. is the fall of Jerusalem. The Babylonian armies conquer Jerusalem and they take over Israel. King Nebuchadnezzar takes all of the Israelites into exile and he exiles them into Babylon and they become slaves. At this point, the Israelites feel like all hope is lost. What are we going to do? How are we going to be part of God again? Why would God love us when these are the things that we've done? But God again sends prophets to them. To speak into their lives and to tell them about this loving God that cares for them. 
to turn them back to God. God sends Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to build the walls so that they can protect themselves again. Shortly after that, the Israelites come back to Jerusalem and they're out of exile. But they turn from God. When things are going good for the Israelites, they don't want anything to do with God. But as soon as they're in trouble, it's God, where are you? Have mercy on us. And you see, here's the debate that goes out there. When people read the Old Testament, they say, this isn't a loving God. Why would he do these things to people? Why would he destroy their lives? And people who tell me that, I ask them, have you read the whole thing? Or just a chapter here and there? Because when you read the whole thing, you begin to see that God does love them. Because God had a mission. From the very beginning, his mission was for us to have unity with him. For us to have a direct connection with God, our Father. Then we see in the Gospels, if I can spell, that God sends his one and only Son to guide us to die for us. To give us a chance to be reconciled back to the Father. Jesus comes and he teaches. His ministry is totally different than anyone else. He doesn't come proclaiming the law and, says, and saying that these are the things you have to do. And if, if you're not going to do them, then you can't be a part of God's family. But he goes up to the worst of the worst. He goes to the prostitutes. He goes to the murderers. He goes to the tax collectors and says, God loves you. That God wants to care for you. That this, these things that you may be doing, that's not who you are. Because who you are is what God created you to be. And this is not what God created you to be. And Jesus calls us to turn, to repent of the sins of our lives. And to turn back to God. But instead, we reject him. We crucify him. God said, I have a mission. I have a purpose. And this time, I'm not going to let what you do affect my plan. You see, God has sent all of these people because of one mission. For you and I to be in a relationship with God our Father. And when Jesus 
rises from the dead and he comes back and he, he talks to his disciples again. He tells them in Acts 1.8, don't leave Jerusalem until you have received the Holy Spirit. If you know the Trinity, the Trinity is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. God sends the Son to earth to be with us, to die for us. Jesus does his part And then God sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. Now we have become literally Jesus to the world. We've become part of God's mission. We've become part of who he is. What he wants for our lives. But you see, I didn't make this big enough, but right here, the story's not done. You see, because between the end, the revelation, and the time that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, there's still a gap there. There's still something to be done. When you look at this, what do you see? What do you see? I'll tell you what I see. Grace. Love. Grace. Love. Love, love. Because any point in this story, God could have said, you're not worth it. And if you remember, he used Noah to do that very thing. He said, I'm going to start over. These morons have messed it up and I don't like it. But he also makes a promise at that point and says, I will never do this again. Because I love them. I've created them with a purpose. I'm not going to let anything that they do get in the way of my God's mission. So what is the gap? You'll have to come back next week and find out. But I'll say this. You and I are part of the story. Each one of us is in the Bible. Each one of our lives plays a part in God's mission for it to be fulfilled and completed. Each one of us. Not one person's left out.
So I hope now when you read the Bible, you'll see that everything revolves around one thing, God's mission to be with us. The true act of a father. If you're a parent, you know that you will do anything for your kids. Almost to a fault sometimes. And God did the same thing for us. Stand with me. Jesus, it's really easy for us to to see your word, to look at your Bible, and to just be confused, to not understand what in the world's going on, to not understand how this plays a part in our lives. What relevance does the word of God have for us? But God, we know now. We can see that you have a plan, you have a mission. There's a point behind everything that you have done. God, help us to see more clearly. Help us to hear you more proficiently. Help us to obey you with our lives and what you have called us to do. Because just as you have sent Abraham, just as you sent the judges and the prophets and and your son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, you send us. God, may we be obedient. Just like the people that you sent in your word. God, we proclaim the good news that you are a God of love and grace and that you are a God who loves us and wants to change our lives and it doesn't matter what we've done because in you, our lives are transformed. 